0: Welcome to Creepy Club. I'm Rissa. I'm Heidi, and this is the podcast where we talk about spooky, scary stuff. Um, true crime, true crime, ghosts, creatures Bigfoot. in the forest. You you know it already.
1: Well, maybe they don't. Maybe it's their first time. Yeah, but they can probably get an idea of what we talk I about. I mean, just it's called logo. Creepy Club, so. Don't be super surprised. That's not tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. It's not a trick. It's for real. It's it's for real. (laughs) It's totally for real. All
0: right. So this is our episode two of three in our marathon recording session. But as the crow flies... No, just kidding. Uh, What's with you in that? uh, I I, I was just doing a callback to the previous episode, but i know for our listeners this will have what it means i I will um for our listeners this will be a week later but for us it's only minutes um so yeah we're gonna jump right into it these are gonna be um a little shorter episodes than we're normally used to but that doesn't mean they're not gonna be creepy what are you going to talk about today
1: So today we are going to talk about the women of Juarez which sounds like maybe it could be happy at first but it is a true tragedy and this one definitely I tried to think of how I could discuss this in one episode and came to the conclusion is literally impossible. There's just so many layers. I'm not exactly sure how many episodes it's going to take me to go over it. It might be two. It might be three or four. Um, what has happened in Juarez has just an incredible amount of layers. But so I thought I would kind of we could k- kind of talk about why, what generally has happened there, and some of the um hypotheses around why what happened has happened. Mm, And then, you know, next episode we can talk about some of the response from law enforcement and some of the suspects. And that's where I'm like, I want to do a little more research on some of the suspects uh, because there is, well, I'll touch on that later, but There's not a single suspect. Oh. So this is definitely a true crime thing. Um, In fact, you can read about it on Amnesty International. So it's that kind of story. Mm -hmm. And it is referred to as, so there's an English and a Spanish interpretation of the issue that is happening in Juarez and also Chihuahua which I guess is fairly nearby. I will admit I did not look on a map but some things that are kind of significant about um, geography plays a role in what's happened there. Um, they are very near El Paso and they're also low-income communities and often people will need to cross the border to find work mm-hmm. and because they are so ling- low income and poverty in large cities in Mexico is a different level of hell than it is for most people in the US hmm you know it's really it it's bad really bad um, you know just things like having access to running water could be a challenge right right and then the jobs that they come over to do often may only pay the equivalent of $5 a day. Oh, uh, yeah. Frequently, the people that are crossing are working in factories, and the end product are things like um, low price clothing and other, you know, what people think of as disposable goods. They're not, you know, it's not high-quality clothing that people are, it's not a Landsend sweater you're going to keep for 10 years. Right. It's fashion clothing that you're expecting to wear for one or two seasons. Um, and uh, because people are poor, few of them have cars and rely on public transit or walk, mm-hmm. which could be a considerable distance. If you were at the city center of uh, the city of Juarez or um, if you'd like to hear my bad Spanish, we could call it the Ciudad Juarez. And uh, my friend last night was over who is relatively fluent in Spanish. And I said, Donde está el biblioteca? <laughs> and then I told her that I have the worst white lady Spanish accent ever. And she didn't disagree. Okay. So if you were to go by foot, if you had no, couldn't afford transportation at all, and you go from the city center of Juarez to El Paso in the state of Chihuahua, which I was thinking Chihuahua is another city, but it's not. It's, I guess, the state or whatever the equivalent of a state would be in Mexico. Not really sure. Um, Center to center is less than seven miles. So not gonna say that's a walk I'd wanna do twice a day, but Mm -hmm. it could be done. And that's center to center. So you could look live in like Chavania, which is much, much closer to the border, and only have to walk a couple miles. Yeah. You wouldn't necessarily be walking that full distance. Or alternatively, you could live on the other side of the city center and have an even longer track. If you take a bus, and thank you Google Maps for providing this information, um, city center to city center is about a 30-minute bus ride. So that's certainly manageable. I don't know. I did not look into um, how customs works for that. Like mm-hmm. if you would also have a daily, um, I would assume you have a daily trip through customs, but like, does that add another hour to your long ass day? Yeah. Anyway, um, many many people make this trek from one side of the border because Chihuahua is very poor, mm-hmm. and job opportunities are just not fab yeah there's just not a lot of opportunity there what is extremely alarming and upsetting is that and i'm looking at this particular article um i looked it up on wikipedia just in the hopes that this one had been to get the numbers in hopes that had been fairly recently updated and it has not but Okay, so in somewhere around the early 90s, between 1993 and 2005, there were estimated to be more than 370 murders of young women. Wow. In that area. Uh huh. After serving 155 out of 340 documented, a government committee found that roughly half were prompted by motives like and gang wars, while a little more than a third involved sexual assault. Hmm. So that was in, that was what was reported in 2003. A much more recent article that I found, so think about last reported and what I say 2003 was 370. Yeah. As of September 2017, more than 1,500 women and girls have been reported murdered and dumped in the desert. Wow. Since 1993. Oh, my God. That is a city of people, for starters. Yeah. And it's always women and a very specific age group of women. Yeah they're like 13 to early 20s and dark-haired. Well, yeah. Very, very specific. Well, there are some Latina women who are not dark, who have red hair, who have, you know, colonization happened in Mexico, too. Yeah. And, well, you know, not everybody necessarily is... fits what Yeah. be expected. Most people look you know you can tell but not necessarily always yeah um so but are thir- we... 13 seems to be like the bottom yeah. age yeah
0: are we al- we're not i mean never mind i'm gonna never mind. i'm
1: gonna wait until you tell me more <laughs> okay <laughs> one article so this was a uh new york Times article new york times article which, New York Times, while I appreciate that you produce content for me to read, your onboarding process is beyond obnoxious. I would just like that noted. <laughs> they try to make you join, and there's so oh, many. Oh, yeah, It's like the most annoying. Isn't it like the Washington Post that's like,
0: you have to subscribe if you want to watch or if you want to look at three more articles or whatever. I don't know. E- yes. You only have a certain amount or something.
1: I feel like there's very much a dark pattern going on here where they are making it difficult for you to opt out of subscribing. Yeah. Anyway, so the title of this particular article, this one's June 23rd, 2012. Um, Damien Caves, the author, author, thanks Damien, Wave of Violence Swallows More Women and More As and there was a um there was a display of photographs of the women who were missing and it doesn't say where it was but it says posters last month Should women who have disappeared in the Ciudad Juarez about 60 women and girls have been killed in the city so far this year wow and he goes on to say first there were a few bones and body parts found in the valley beyond the sprawl or this Wild City, at least four women had been killed and dumped. Then in the same area, investigators made another discovery early this year, a dozen more dead women and girls. More disappeared in 2009 and 2010, and when last seen alive, many were teenagers, good students with bright smiles of possibility. Um, And then a mother is quoted, and she says, I never believed this is how she would be back to us, Mrs. Gonzalez said, fighting tears in her modest kitchen. I'd always be, I always believed she'd be given back to us alive. Ciudad Juarez became infamous for a wave of attacks beginning in 1990, the 1990s, that left hundreds of women dead over the course of a decade. So, since 1993 to now, I'm sure that so it was two that or fifteen hundred and twenty seventeen. So I'm sure we're well beyond that. Yeah. Um, there have been. I think tidal wave is fair, an unbelievable amount of killings, and part of the. Um. Part of where the walking happens to cross the border, is just desert there's really nothing going on mm-hmm. so it's very isolated and if you are someone with bad intentions I mean there's nobody around to watch or make sure that people stay safe You're just completely isolated or you know maybe you see other people who are ahead of her work as well or headed home from work but um there's not, like, a public path that's lit or, you know, police patrol of that area like we would think of here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's much more isolated. But, so they call it femicide.
0: Oh.
1: Yeah. It got its own name Mm -hmm. because it was so significant. What is disturbing about this case is that they think that... It is a combination of serial killers, gang violence, um, and sex trafficking.
0: Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask earlier, because you said, you'd mentioned that they're all around the same age and they're all same hair color. And we know from previous episodes that serial killers tend to have an M.O., as far as right. what their victim's going to be. But I was like... these pedophiles, too. These numbers are so staggering that how
1: could it be just one serial killer? It would be really tough for it to be one individual. And kind of like that um, mini-series we talked about where they discovered that there may be networks of truck drivers who are serial killers that have kind of grouped right. together. Uh, I think... Killing
0: fields yeah the one your brother worked on (laughs) yeah i never can remember if it's killing season or killing fields
1: yeah that they you know as they dug deeper they were even more disturbed to learn that there are these sort of formalized networks of deviance and i think that that is likely here as well that you know maybe people i don't know did the dark web exist in digital form in 1993 who knows but i'm sure that people who have interest interests at that level of deviance have a way of connecting with each other yeah you know if nothing else for inspiration because they have to have someone to brag to that's not going to turn them in right you know because their ego is so tied up in that stuff so they think that um or rather their insecurities their like bottomless pit of insecurities forces them into a position where they have to brag or they perish Yeah. Right. yeah um so they think that some of it is gang violence you know retaliation or robbery or whatever that that could account for part of it and then there was a more recent story in the last couple of years where they untra- uncovered A significant sex trafficking ring that that ended up accounting for some but certainly not all of the missing women yeah so there's this stew of evil that just hangs over that path what I find really shocking Mm. is that um, the Mexican government hasn't taken measures to create a safe path knowing that this is this is something that people are doing every day. Yeah. And it's not just one or two people. It's a significant number of people. Why is there not a walking, biking path? I mean, seven miles. There's a conspiracy here somewhere, right? Seven miles is not an impossible feat. It's not 7,000 miles. Yeah. I mean, the Great like, Wall of China is pretty fucking long, and that got done.
0: Yeah, so maybe it seems like there's some
1: connection to the government. Well, when the sex trafficking thing came out, absolutely, oh. the Mexican police are not exactly known for being um, on the up and up overall. Yeah, there are lots and lots of dirty cops and government officials. Right. and I'm, some other day i'd like to dig into the history of why that is the way that it is because it certainly isn't everyone right like there's some people in every profession you have some people who are there for all the right reasons and um are genuine in their desire to help and then you're always going to have somebody who's just a dick right and shows up for the paycheck phones in all of their responsibilities and doesn't really give a shit and is just looking for opportunities to game the system or make some kind of grab for themselves. But in these kind of situations, that second category of people seems to be, instead of being an outlier, they're the dominant group. And how does that dynamic develop over time? Because it probably didn't start that way. Yeah, You would think if you are in the process of Forming um oversight for the safety of your citizens, like we're gonna form a police department or you know, anything related to public safety, initially at least the people that would have some interest in that would probably mean it. Right. Like I don't know where the profit motive would be unless you're a contractor and you're like, well you know what I think would be really great for the safety (laughs) of the people in the city is if we put in this, uh, sidewalk. Oh, shit, I can make those, you know? Right. Unless it's something like that, I would think that it starts out probably for the right reasons. But the level of corruption in any story written about crime in Mexico, um, is, like, parallel with, uh... Russia, you know, in terms of corruption yeah, at the government level. Not to say we don't have ours here because that... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like... Well, and that, you know, gender aside, the whole, like, old boy network is yeah. very, you know, it's you bleed blue first. So people's desire to cover up misdeeds is so strong because belonging to the group is such a high priority Mm -hmm. that people will just keep their mouth shut. Yeah, I was listening to this podcast, or no, it was an Audible book the other day, and they were talking about that topic specifically um, in terms of, so it was, okay, this is going to sound not as exciting, but the book that I was listening to was specifically about safety around user experiences and <laughs> why don't certain things work you know so yeah. if, if you have an annoying buzzer people just disable it therefore now you your safety measure is null and void yeah like it's not good anymore Interesting. um yeah so you have to have other ways of indicating there's a problem if it's supposed to be a help to you to keep you safe it can't be just a noise because people get irritated by them and deactivate them Mm -hmm. anyway um now how okay write this number down (laughs) i have to think about how i was connecting those two things so oh okay i remember one of the examples that the author gave is an alternative because he said the same thing in the book that when interviewing people about those kinds of things or even if it was just something even more basic like observing someone doing a task at their job and to try and figure out if the software that they have is working for them or not. People were very reluctant to report errors. Like there is something about humans that makes them not want to do that. Yeah, I get that. So, the only time he had ever seen an alternative done well was when he took a scuba diving class. The instructor incentivized the reporting of uh safety issue because people could die, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um so, but the high stakes aren't enough to change people's behavior. Even though people know someone could die, they still will like doubt themselves or just not say something, but he said he would pay anyone who reported it and stopped a dive which is like literally the exact opposite of what happens most of the time around those kind of things right so i think with you know and with um state agencies police departments investigative agencies there's you're, you're no incentivized
0: ins- to report decent- stuff
1: well, right, because one, you don't know, is that person going to totally throw me under the bus and tell my colleague that I said something? Yeah. Um, or, you know, am I taking a job that is reasonably interesting and pleasant and a manageable amount of stress? And am I going to convert this into something that is an experience in terror every day? Yeah. If I report this thing. So the stakes are really high for people. Yeah. I can see. I'm not saying I would hope I would do the right thing. But I can certainly see why people are not incentivized to report. Because that peer pressure is pretty incredible. Yeah. Although the crimes are also pretty horrific. Yeah. I'm not going to get into it too terribly deep this time. But... The amount of absolute fuck-ups by the police is, I mean, I could probably do months' worth of episodes on just how they screwed it up. So one thing that would happen is if, so say, you know, Mama um, Gonzalez sends her daughter heads off to work in the morning. If she doesn't return that evening ever, right so it's Mm -hmm. midnight and she's normally home at six if they would go to the police the police would refuse to take a report why that they were missing no reason in particular was ever given just that that person had to be missing for a certain number of days before they were even willing to file a missing person's report Right. Because they're like, oh, they just
0: ran away or whatever.
1: Right. And they would often, it was a lot of like really misogynist excuses for why they wouldn't take the report. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, she probably ran off with her boyfriend and she'll turn yeah. off again in a couple days. Yeah. So really patronizing to the parents. Yeah. In spite of the fact that they were well aware that women were being murdered in the desert all the time. Yeah. Um... You know at the rate of what once every couple few days
0: yeah and i'm assuming that
1: probably the general public did not know this well it got bad enough everybody seemed to know oh, okay. i mean you have 370 murders in that few of years you know when it first started happening yeah uh i think people probably start to panic so yeah
0: like it first starts out as but i'm saying like as as a whole
1: maybe the news is not
0: reporting this to people
1: but yeah, there are yeah like, i think then the news outlets were stuff. maybe not doing what they should have been but i do i did get the impression from the things that i read that people were very aware and absolutely terrified yeah because one it was a very real possibility that you know one in a handful of people was going to be targeted yeah it was several hundred deaths out of a hundred thousand you know your odds were not really super fantastic for staying violence free and then are you a walker do you ride the bus like what method of transportation you take does that increase your or what mode of transportation you use does that increase your likelihood of being a victim I would think if you're a walker you're gonna have to go through more isolated areas so you know That's probably gonna up your opportunity to be a victim yeah and I did wonder I'm and I can only assume that people were walking solo because other family members were not available because they were working or maybe you know they had physical disabilities that would prevent them from making that round trip Mm -hmm. you know Like, why were these women going by themselves, given the amount of danger that they were presented with? Yeah. So, and I do not want to blame, like, victims' families. I'm just thinking that it's probably more reflective of how incredibly poor those areas are. Yeah. That anyone in the household who was able to work would be working. So you couldn't buddy up with a family member to... To escort you there and back to assure your safety. Yeah. That's what I I suspect is probably the case. Or, you know, like with the bus, you probably couldn't afford to buy round trip bus tickets for two people every day. Yeah. That's probably out of the budget, not yeah. happening. Yeah. Um, they found that nearly all of the women had been and still have been up until now not immediately killed, but kidnapped and had held for several days, maybe up to two weeks before they were actually killed. Wow. So I think that it's hard to imagine that one person could kill so many people, but at the same time, there are really established patterns for Right, how these murders are being committed—it's just the numbers seem a little far-fetched to be accomplished by one individual. It's like,
0: it's like a group of serial killers got together and had a serial killer meeting, and they're like, "Look, this is how we're gonna go." About Here's the this. rules of
1: engagement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it turns out, though, that like I mentioned before, it—it it is all of those things. It's probably serial killers um along with they know that there were dirty cops, dirty government workers who were getting paid off by gangs to stay quiet, yeah, around a sex trafficking ring that they were running and that often those women would end up murdered after they had been tricked out for a period of time um and uh, you know there wasn't and some of it could have been it's possible some of it is one-off but they do think that there's definitely it's highly likely that there's more than one serial killer active but the number of arrests that have occurred as a result of these murders is disturbingly low yeah um quite a few Different men have been brought forward as suspects, and some of them confessed to doing things. Some of them had a fair amount of evidence that was not in their favor. And there are a handful of people in jail, but every time something happened, the police would be like, we nailed it, we got it, this is not going to be a problem anymore. We got your guy. Yeah, And then people would still continue to be killed in the same way.
0: And do they kind of, have they arrested people falsely because they wanted it to fit the narrative or whatever? Like we do. Here um, I that?
1: haven't seen, and maybe I'll find it in further research. I haven't really seen that. I yeah. mean, the people that have been picked up and let me pull up, I've got one article. It might take me just a second to find it, but The people who have been picked up, um, I'm going to talk about the first one today, the first arrest. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't say they were, you know, huge surprises. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, maybe for their families, but (laughs) it wasn't like, oh, I can't possibly see how that could happen. You know, there was something about it that. You thought, okay, well, I can see how somebody who's got that kind of mind that's just broken would be attracted to this particular lifestyle because it provides opportunity. Yeah. And, oh, and one of the, like, gross things that a lot of the killers would do would be removing... The breasts of the victims, and like just chucking them in the trash or on the ground, and lots of like mutilation activity. Mm. So it does, you know, just if you think about those things, you think like that's so specific, that has to be one person. Yeah, but it's impossible that one person could do all of those things. Yeah, the first. was an Egyptian chemist and his name is Abdel Latif Sharif an Egyptian chemist correct Okay. Uh, he claimed to have been sexually abused as a child specifically sodomized by his father and other male relatives Mm. immigrated to the US in 1970 originally came and lived in New York um, had a reputation for being a drinker, being promiscuous. And when they talked to people who knew him prior to his address, they would recall that he had an obsessive interest in young girls. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not great. Um. He... At one time, lived in Pennsylvania, and went on went deer hunting with this guy named John Pasco. And after he shot the deer, Pasco said he tortured the animal. Mm-mm. That's. I mean, this is just like serial killer bingo. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah. Was he also dropped on his head as a young child?
1: doesn't mention anything about banging his head. But, you know, maybe he was in the birth canal too long. It's hard to say. Right. So this guy who was friends with him in Pennsylvania said that women who were often in the company of his buddy, at some point they would turn up missing. Oh. Mm-hmm. But no one ever, you know, connected him, nor were the nor were these girls found. So it wasn't like, oh, he was last, this girl was last seen with Sharif and now they're missing and we can't find her. You know, I don't think that he was necessarily a suspect, at least not initially. And Pasco says that in the early 80s, um, he ran across some things in Sharif's home. That were items that clearly belonged to these girls that were missing. Oh, no. And he was like, "And goodbye. are yeah, good. Right. It does not say that he then went to the police. Right. And, like- <laughs> s- and said, uh, my buddy Sharif is one creepy son of a bitch. And P.S. He has evidence at his house so yeah. i may need to um see if i can hunt up anything on that guy yeah but i just wonder is that like the bystander effect i feel like that right. shows up in so many places yes where you know more Somebody com- else will figure this out more commonly known as i don't want to get involved yes whether it be conscious or subconscious not my circus not my monkeys yeah or i wonder if he just might have been scared absolute shitless. It doesn't yeah, say whether or not scary. Sharif noticed that he found those things and was like, "I will gut you like a pig if you tell anyone." Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely possible as well. Totally. Yeah. Um, but somehow he was able to make, um, make a break. Oh, and the last item that he saw. So when he he found some stuff in the home and was like, oh, holy hell, this, <laughs> this is no bueno, not good. Yeah. And also noticed that there was a dirty shovel on the front porch. Oh, no. Yeah. Mm-mm. Bye-bye. Mm. So later, that was in... Um, so it was sometime in the late 70s. By the early 1980s, he had moved to Florida and was living in Palm Beach, where he worked as an engineer as well as a chemist. And he was working for, you know, a large commercial company. Um, and he was so good at his job that the company actually created an apartment department for him to run oh so his work ethic was on point okay Mhm.
0: it's kind of like kind of like our neighbor who is a domestic abuser but he keeps his lawn pristine
1: i mean if he owned a lawn company and wasn't constantly a drunk asshole i would absolutely pay him to mow my lawn yeah Yeah, but that would also require him being in my yard. So if he could maybe just do it from his yard somehow, (laughs) it would be great. Drone lawnmower. Yeah, well, I still think that we should get a goat for the block. And then, like, Monday's my day for the goat. Tuesday's your day. And then it's, you know, environmentally friendly. And the block has a pet goat. Sweet. It's a win for everybody. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Sharif is in Florida, living in Palm Beach. It's Nice, nice, nice neighborhood, uh, I believe on the Atlantic side. And he's working for this, this company. He's well-respected chemist and engineer. So he sounds like, you know, I mean, who knows if people were a big fan of him personality-wise, but as far as his career goes, he's progressing and doing well. Mm-hmm. And then, oops, he took home a young lady, beat and raped at her repeatedly. And then, oddly, after the whole thing happened, he was like, oh, I didn't, did I hurt you? What? Do you need to go to a hospital? Are you okay? Like, shifted, to make it appear my suspicion is that he was trying to manipulate the situation and act like oh i just thought you were kind of into the rough stuff and
0: oh okay maybe
1: i certainly didn't mean to take it this far um are you all right yeah so um it that that particular incident did end up in court mm-hmm. um he had then there was a second woman in West Palm Beach. He got a whole 45 days for the second one. hmm Uh-huh. <laughs> Such a harsh punishment. Yeah. And for the first one, he got probation. <laughs> cool. Yeah, we're, everyone was definitely safer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that's kind of extra gross is that his employer bankrolled his defense. Wow. Mm-hmm. Hmm. They did eventually fire him because they were like, okay, your legal expenses are perhaps beyond budget for what <laughs> we would typically expect from an employee. Yeah. And also disturbing, frankly, Um, But they did pay for the first two. So they had to have... I mean, that is really disturbing on a lot of levels. I think that, you know, having a benefit... He sounds like he was fairly high up in the company that he worked for. And having a benefit where you get some legal counsel provided to you... I wouldn't say that that's totally shocking to me. I think they would probably anticipate people at that level using it for things like tax attorneys, yeah, not criminal attorneys. But for them to have a budget for attorney expenses isn't completely shocking. I don't know how common it is, but I am just absolutely floored that his employer would be like I got the bill no problem right um he ends up moving north to Gainesville Florida had a brief marriage and oh, no mm-hmm. well his wife didn't like that thing where he beat her until she was unconscious
0: oh yeah that's mm-hmm. typical of women that they don't like to be beat
1: yeah, and then he was like, ooh, this place is a hot mess. I better get a live-in housekeeper and beat the fuck out of her. And when, you know, she was like, uh, could you not do that? He's like, mm, I'm going to bury you in the backwoods. Shut oh. the fuck up. Oh. I've done it before, I'll do it again. Oh, dude. Mm-hmm. Now that time, they did actually hold him without bond. So Man. he did have to sit around locked up for that one. Except for then he escaped. What? <laughs> right. They're really, I feel like they're not good at um, police in this area. <laughs> like are not good at police. Yeah, I don't think if police was a verb, they're not... They're not nailing it. So he gets out of Alicucha County Jail, January 1984, but he's also not super great at being a fugitive because he got recaptured pretty, pretty soon after. <laughs> he gets a 12-year sentence for rape. Um, and the prosecutor promises the public that he, uh, on his release, yo, I'm going to be at the gates and this piece of shit's getting deported to Egypt because we've had enough of his garbage here. Nice. Yeah. Um, except that didn't happen. <laughs> That's what so I thought he, you were going to say. Yeah. So he moved. He was like, you know, what? sounds great. I'm going to move to Midland, Texas and ended up working for a research and tech company. And the U.S. Department of Energy thought he was super great and publicly praised him Uh, then he did this thing with drunk driving. Um. Do you feel like this guy
0: is capable of being a human? No, I was just thinking, like, he is a very bad dude and obviously a serial killer. But do you feel like he is capable of. The. The the. Crimes that you're talking about, the women of Juarez? Um, not
1: 1,500 of them. Well, yeah, of course not. But like... Yeah. No, I mean, I think that he probably is... I mean, he's an accomplished business person, so he can't be com- dumb as a box of rocks. That's you true. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's he's got to have some common sense in there. He's just maybe a little sloppy when he's yeah mid mid spree yeah he might not be doing his most linear thinking you know um he doesn't sound like a guy that makes a lot of good choices
0: yeah well no
1: no not when the like when that parts of his brain lights up his decision making goes out the window um he there were uh A couple attempts to get him deported. Hearings. I mean, this shit just went on for forever. At one point, he had a deportation defense lawyer who offered the government a deal. If they would dismiss the latest charges, uh, Sharif would voluntarily leave the U.S. And so Sharif moved to Juarez. Which is... Awesome so he just moved to the like, other I side.
0: I researched this place. Mm-hmm. It sounds really great. There's a lot of really vulnerable women around and it, it just sounds like the perfect ideal place for me to live.
1: Yep, and then just the last couple things and then I'm going to I'm going to do my cliffhanger cuz I'm overtime. Yeah. So in 1995 in the fall he marries a young Makidora. Makila Dora, Maqu- Dora, and surprise, she was like, "Yo, dude, totally raped me."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Apparently, relocation did not stop his terrifying lifestyle. Uh, surprise, shocking. I mean, thank God he deported himself because everything's better now. <laughs> I just, I don't get like. Yay for getting him out of this place, but deporting him just moves him to a different place. Right? Doesn't really. I feel like we're failing to he's, look at the root. He's your problem now. The root problem. Um. He also let her know that uh he could kill her and dump her body, so that's not very nice. And specifically called out a desert region. Oh. so mm, mm-hmm, that's a little bit of a thinker and it was a place that victims had been found yeah doesn't say why but at some point the charges were withdrawn I'm gonna guess money Yeah, and um then there was his 17 year old girlfriend who was found raped and murdered that was the one that finally got him in 1999 and he got a 30 year sentence.
0: oh that's good
1: yeah. So initially, the police were like, yay, we did it. No more, no more murders of, in the city of Juarez. Our women are safe, except not really. Hmm. Um, This particular article says, one month after Sharif was in custody, police acknowledged that 520 people had vanished in the last 11 months and that an important percentage of them are female adolescents. Another situation solution was needed, and authorities offered it in the form of a bizarre conspiracy theory. What? Cliffhanger. Oh. We'll find out more about that later.
0: Wow. Yeah. Y'all City are gonna Wars have to wait is... a whole two weeks for that. I know. Well, that is certainly interesting. And I kind of like that we're both doing these kind of miniseries.
1: Yeah, it wasn't my initial plan, but then when I started doing the research, I was like, this, uh, well, one, it went over a couple decades, mm-hmm. a few decades. Like it went on for such a long time. There's just a lot of ground to cover. And he's not the only serial killer that's been identified. Yeah. So there's, I mean, we could probably do an episode just on him and his weird ass. Yeah you know what i mean um but i think one of the things that's really interesting about this particular case is the amount the colossal amount of screw-ups by agencies that are supposed to be helping
0: yeah well that seems like a theme unfortunately with a lot of serial killer
1: cases yeah, I feel like if, um, you know, we didn't have, you know, Tom and Jerry running things <laughs> most of the time, yeah. or like Bugs Bunny, chief of police, yeah, we might fare a little better. I, don't know. I, th- I
0: feel like that's insulting to Bugs Bunny. I feel like he,
1: he might that's do a true. good job. I'm not saying that there aren't certainly very good detectives yeah. and investigators out there. I Absolutely. think that there are. But I also think that there's some really incompetent people who make some horrific blunders. When I called on that uh, situation next door where the woman had the head wound, the cop that showed up said, oh, where is it? Then stuck stuck his ungloved hand on her bloody wound.
0: Ew. And I
1: was like, didn't they teach you better in police school? Well,
0: like... And- even just as a human being. Don't touch people's
1: wounds. Not their bloody head gash. Ew. And I'm like, you can look at her and see that she's a drug addict. You don't know if she's been a needle user or you're just stupid. Yeah. So, yeah, he was not the smartest, sharpest tool in the shed, but, you know, he got in. Well,
0: uh, on that note, uh, thank you, Braden Henzie, for our intro and outro music. Thanks, buddy. If you would like to share a story or a topic suggestion, tweet us at creepy club pod or email us at creepyclubpodcast at gmail Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash podcast or follow us on Instagram at Creepy Club Podcast. You can follow me at Risboomba R-I-S-B-O-O-M-B-A-H or you can follow Heidi at Creepy Club Heidi. For the meeting minutes, go to creepyclubpodcast.com. We'll share some pictures and links and things like that that are um, relevant to the episode. And we would love it if you could rate, review, subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcast app that you prefer and tell all your friends about us. Uh, Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you on the next one. Meeting adjourned.
1: Peace.